Well, grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love it when my projector connects, or my, my tablet connects, and then I really don't like it when it fails to connect, like it did just now. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'll have to figure that out later. But, uh, but uh, for this morning's text, uh, I wanted to, to break it down a little bit uh, and kind of give you guys some, some key ins to some things that are going on that you might not be aware of. So, for instance, but they remain silent. Now, if I, had my, if I had my tablet, I would underline remain silent. Because you see, there's something that's very interesting that happens, and that's in verse 6. And it says, they could not reply. In English, that's what it looks like. They remain silent, and they could not reply. In Greek, however, that's one letter difference. Just one letter. One letter makes the difference between they decided not to talk versus they didn't even have the ability to talk. And that's, the, that's what is going on here. So, so first is man with, with dropsy. It's, it's a form of edema nowadays. It's kind of where basically they retain too much water in their legs and, and arms puff up. So that's, that's the description of what we have. This man comes in, and he's seeking healing, even though it's on the Sabbath day. And so we have, they remain silent. They decided not to say anything. You can tell they probably have this experience where they think they're going to have this gotcha moment, and instead that's not what they get at all. So Jesus heals him, but then he asks the question, which of you, if you had an ox or if you had a child even, that got stuck in a well, would do nothing if it was on a Sabbath? Well, they can't answer that. And so they decide they can't reply. One letter difference, but it means a lot. Now, after that, Jesus goes on to tell them this parable. Now, we're going to get into the parable uh, with the sermon, with the rest of the sermon, I guess I should say. Um, However, one of the things that Jesus is doing is Jesus is actually has, has this kind of motif. Luke highlights it, and it's said all throughout the Gospel of Luke. In fact, and uh, if we go all the way back, maybe, yeah, here we go. Off we go all the way back to chapter 1, and we read this famous passage known as the Magnificat. This is the words of Mary when she's visiting uh, Elizabeth. And she has this, this wonderful, very beautiful and poetic passage where she talks about the coming of the Lord. And notice what she says. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, those that are overly prideful. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble a state. This is something that's going to become to known, and, and like I said, a lot of theologians, actually I said, like I said, like I said, like I said in early service, but you guys weren't here for that, so, so my apologies, but, but um, as I said in early service, uh, this is something that's known as the great reversal, and it's a, a theme that's going to follow throughout Luke's gospel, 
And we actually do see it in other places. And this is what I had before. Um, so if we go to chapter 12, we see Jesus who uh, washes the feet of his disciples. In chapter 13, verse 30, we hear this verse. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And we're going to see this repeated again in verse 11. Behold, some are first who are last, and some are last who are first. Now, if you were reading this gospel for the very first time, and you were seeing this, and you were hearing this, you might have a lot of questions over what in the world does Jesus mean by that? And that's a good question to have. Because as Christians, we need to ponder that question, right? We need to ponder that question of what does it mean to be last, and, and how is being last being first? See, this great reversal is not just a bunch of words that Jesus is saying, but in fact, he is saying so much more. Luther, actually, Luther would highlight in, in his own theology, in his own breakdown, he would call this being a theologian of a cross. Now, there are some of you that are going, oh, right on, I know exactly what that's about. But my guess is most of you here have no idea. But when Luther was talking about this, he was directing our attention to the cross. And again, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the sermon, but kind of just to give you a little bit of a highlight here, the great reversal takes place in terms of the greatest when you think about the cross. Because it's there at the cross that a great reversal takes place. Who among us could look at a man who is suffering and dying, who is innocent, and say, yeah, that's great. That's a good thing. I doubt any of us. I doubt any of us could say, yeah, this man is unjustly suffering and say, that's a good thing. And yet, when we see Jesus upon the cross, we say, yes, that's a good thing. Several of the disciples and, and, and later in some of the Pauline works, we're going to talk about how some things that are good are called evil, and some things that are evil are called good. And even as we look out at our own society, how many people around us think that there are things, and they say, these are really good. In fact, this is the most good. And yet, as Christians, with our eyes, we look at those things, and we say, no, that's not good at all. Part of the reason that we have that different view is because we are grounded in Scripture, and we are looking at it through the eyes of Scripture. And so looking at it through the eyes of Scripture and looking at it through that lens, we look out at a world that's filled with all kinds of stuff that is evil and awful. And yet the world says this is good. In fact, the world says this is the greatest of good. And yet we look at it and we say, no, that's just not true. It's not the greatest of good. In fact, it's evil. It's a reversal. A reversal that's still taking place that we look out on things that the rest of the world says is good, and we say it's evil. And yet, there's things that we say, look, this is good. And the world around us says, no, that's evil. That great reversal, that great reversal which finds its culmination, the greatest example, is found in the cross of Christ, which we will hear more about in the sermon. And so that's where I'm going to end this.
Well, grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would ask for a show of hands, but to be honest with you, I don't think anybody would raise their hand to say, yes, I'm arrogant. That's me. But maybe even worse, I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hands to say, yes, I'm super humble. Because that might not also work either. So in either case, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, to admit that they're arrogant, or to claim very proudly that they are very humble. I'm just not going to do it. But, you know, I think about that in myself. And, you know, there are times in my life where I have been confronted with some of my own arrogance. You know, I, I don't want to admit it. I, I don't want to raise my hand and say, yeah, that was me. But there have certainly been those moments, right? Those moments, that, that time when, when we're doing something or are involved in something and all of a sudden somebody says something or, or does something and all of a sudden I'm confronted with, well, myself. My own fallen nature, my own pride, my own arrogance. I wish I could tell you that it wasn't true, that it never happens to me, that it, that's definitely not me at all, but I can't. And my guess is, is if we went through memory lane for all of you, you'd all have some form of similar experience. Oh, it's not going to be exactly the same, but at some time, some moment, something happened to you. Somebody said something to you, and as you reflected upon it, as you really, really reflected upon it, you came to the conclusion that maybe you had a little bit of pride or a little bit of arrogance that shouldn't have been there. And so what do you do? How do you fix such a thing? You look to the Scriptures. What should we do? How should we act? And the Scriptures are pretty clear. Humility, humbleness, that's how we should be. It's all over the scriptures, all over the place. The Bible tells us to be humble, to show a sense of humility. So obviously this is how we should be. This is how we should act as Christians, as well-meaning Christians in today's world. Not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but in fact out of humility. And so we kind of begin to ask ourselves, how do we do that? And of course, we get to our text today. And certainly our text today has some information that's helpful, but, but even then we kind of read it and we go, well, I don't know how helpful this is really going to be. Jesus is again at the house of some Pharisees, some temp temple leaders. That's not us. We're not in the house of temple leaders. We don't have that dilemma. And then what does Jesus do? He begins to talk about table etiquette of all things. Now, we all might agree that there's probably some youth among us that maybe need to have some table etiquette lessons. And again, I, I would probably argue that I, I wish I could say that it wasn't me or I've never ever had a table etiquette problem, but there's been times. Right? You can take the boy out of Beaufort, but... You can't always take the Buford out of the boy. Or maybe I should say Missouri. That's a little bit more known than Buford, Missouri. But that's the truth. But you know what? This text isn't necessarily about table etiquette either. As I mentioned before, this text is a continuation of something that's been going on throughout the whole gospel. 
this idea of a great reversal. Where Jesus is telling these leaders to act not as what, the way they think they should act, but in fact to act in a sense the exact opposite. To act completely different than what they are thinking. Not to take the seats of high honor, but instead to take the seats, <laughs> the lowest seats on the block. But he doesn't end with just the table etiquette, by the way. This actually, this passage keeps going. And if we were to read on further, what we would find is that Jesus actually tells them not just what to do once they come to a meal, but in fact, how to invite people to a meal. And again, it's not necessarily the etiquette lesson that we're expecting. Jesus tells them, don't invite people that can pay you back. Invite people that can't pay you back. Invite people that are poor, that are on the streets. Invite the people that nobody would ever expect you to invite. That's who you invite. But you see, as Jesus does this, and he, as he does what we call the great reversal throughout this, what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God. And you see, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, we are confronted with the kingdom of God that functions different than what we might think functions different than the world that we have around us. And so when we see it, when, when we're kind of confronted with this reality, it kind of hits us different. We don't always quite know what to make out of it because it is so wildly and radically different than the world that we are in. The world that we're in says that you've got to pay your wage, you've got to pay your dues, you've got to pay back what is given to you that you cannot necessarily receive. It tells you to take pride, overwhelming pride, too much pride in everything to never be humble. That's what the world around us says, but yet the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is different and completely different. So different that when we see the kingdom of God, sometimes we are confronted with this idea that it actually doesn't look like it's a good thing. But yet it is. And in fact, it is the ultimate good. So the kingdom of God does not talk about paying back. It doesn't talk about wages and earnings. What it talks about is worthy and unworthy. But even more than that, even more than that, it asks a simple question of who is your God? Because, you see, if your God looks a lot like you as you were facing yourself in the mirror, if it does exactly what you would do, if he, always, if he always basically accepts everything that you would do and calls it great and good, your God is not the God of Holy Scripture, but in fact is yourself. If your God never tells you that you've done wrong or that you've sinned or never tells you about something that is biblical and is different, then your God is not the God of Holy Scripture. When we are confronted with the God of Holy Scripture, we are told a painful truth that we cannot be worthy on our own. That we cannot be worthy by what we do. That we cannot be worthy by our own self-esteem or our own self-righteousness that we can't earn it, that we can't make it, and that we need Jesus. 
And it is in Jesus that we see the ultimate of the great reversal. That a man, an innocent man, the Son of God who did no wrong, who did not even sin, would suffer and would die so that we could have salvation. Truly, to those that were around at the moment, it seemed like it was wrong. But yet it was the greatest good. It was the greatest good that we received life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is good that through faith in Him, faith given to us through the power of the Spirit, that we could cling to the very cross of Christ and in that be declared worthy, not of our own actions, not of our own doing, but we have such a great Lord that makes us worthy, that gives to us salvation, that gives to us eternal life. And this is humility. Humility is something that is given to us. Humility is not something that we necessarily earn, right? How are we going to go about being super humble today? We're not going to go about saying we're the best at being humble because it just doesn't work that way. But it is through reading Scripture. It is through coming into contact with the God of all there is, was, and ever shall be, that coming into contact with His Son, Jesus Christ, that we realize that we have nothing to bring, that we have nothing to give, and that we receive, and that we receive through Him who is the greatest good, who is our God. That's who gives to us humility. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.